Collectibles were considered the golden goose of the space, and it's pretty much what everyone thinks of when we hear the term NFTs. And also why we now hear the question, are NFTs dead? To cut to the chase, no. And the evidence is clearly in the numbers. Welcome to Metaverse Marketing Mastery. I'm your host, Judah. As a marketing strategist and community builder in the Web3 space, I wanted to share my knowledge and methods with you. If you're an overwhelmed project founder and don't know where to start with building a community, then this podcast is for you. Let's get building. Hey, it's Judy here, dropping in for our usual weekly episode. For this week, I actually wanted to backtrack a little bit and do a well-rounded episode. Some of our episodes get quite granular and hyper-focused on exact steps to follow. So this week, we're going to cover the bird's eye view of the market so you can stay up to date on what's happening and know where you should be investing your energy on as a founder or future founder building in the space. I read through a recent report on the NFT space to look at the market trends in terms of where we're at and where we're headed. So I'm going to be breaking those down with you and keeping it as simple as possible, as per usual. So let's start retracing our steps. What is Web3? It's quite humorous that we even phrase things this way as this phase of the internet will likely become just second nature to most of us in a few years time. Now, if we look right at the beginning, the reason the internet or Web1 was such an interesting topic back in the day was because it was a very jarring concept. Think about it. We went from no internet to the internet. That is pretty crazy to think about, right? We didn't even call this Web1 because we didn't even know there was going to be version 3 or even 2 at the time. So... The phrase Web1 is something we're currently using in the industry to explain the significant changes that have occurred. So what was involved in Web1? Remember getting school assignments and surfing the web to look up information? I definitely do. Wow, I'm getting flashbacks of saving assignments on floppy disks. I must say my mom was pretty cool in teaching me the latest tricks and tools of the trade back then. But during this time of the internet, It was just a research tool. If we want to sound a little more clever, you can refer to the phase as a read-only era. The internet was a massive online encyclopedia. I literally had an encyclopedia set from A to Z, which my parents, I think they either purchased it or it was gifted to me by my aunt. But the real moral of the story here is that I later threw it out because why would I struggle and flip through page numbers when I could just click a few buttons and land right on the information I needed? Sorry, mum. Then came MSN and MySpace. Looks like I'll need to be apologizing to my mum a few more times here. Now, this transition into this phase of the internet was quite seamless as it was just an enhancement of the internet we already had. But now we refer to this as Web2, or to expand on it a little bit further, the internet of sharing. The fact that we could now communicate with one another more seamlessly on the internet meant that you no longer wanted to just read information, but also share information. How you did that varied upon your age. You may have needed to share files due to work, or if you were me, you would sneak back downstairs to use the communal computer so you could start chatting with your friends on a school night. 
when you are really supposed to be in bed. This pattern of behaviour in many teens and young adults alike would lead to the social media boom. Yep, Facebook was not called Meta back then. It was still Facebook. It was literally for you to put your face on an online directory, hence the name Facebook. Now, as the workplace evolved, also it became more and more important to be able to store and share files more seamlessly. We saw the rise of Dropbox. Obviously, competitors like Google Drive were not going to have it. But for quite a while, Dropbox was the it thing. And if you were like me and you still weren't in the workforce, you would have been busy on this new platform called Instagram, where you could start sharing photos of your life that you could only share with your friends on Facebook, but now you could share it with anyone and everyone. Obviously, social media and file sharing did not stop there. And it continued to evolve, and as content and the production of content continued to rise, what would become the burning question at hand? Who owns all of this content in the creator economy? And turns out, it wasn't the creators. So, here we move into Web 3, or Web 3.0, whichever you prefer to call it. This would be the Internet of Value. Pairing the height of content production with the uproar in creators not being able to control and own their content. Oh yeah. And with payment systems becoming more and more digital, especially with the COVID outbreak actively going against the use of cash, ownership became the talk of the town. I mean, digital ownership. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have my ownership details on some loose piece of paper that gets posted and mailed out to me only to have me lose it. So inconvenient, right? So the solution is to have digital ownership be common practice, to have transactions shown on the internet, for things to be open source, and people to be able to know the exact provenance or creator and the current owner. This is where we have the scary word blockchain come in. To put it simply, it's just a crazy network of record-keeping technology. I like to call it a massive Excel spreadsheet that records transactions so you can see how value is being transferred online. It's for everyone to use communally so that hopefully soon, all your important documents won't even have the chance to get lost in your filing cabinet, attic, or worse, during moving day in your packing boxes. It's always the important files that you only need to use once a year that go missing, right? So now that you've received a mini history lesson (laughs) on the internet and also a timestamp of what I was doing at the time, let's look at how this applies to you and the next upcoming months as a founder. During the recent months, we've seen trading volumes decrease dramatically, right? We had a massive NFT boom, especially during the later portion of 2021. And since then, it's been all doom and gloom. Or has it? Now, to understand the trends that have been happening, you need to know that every single NFT is not the same. No, I'm not trying to put a pun in here and say that it's non-fungible. If you don't already know what non-fungible means, it's referring to an asset being unique and it not being able to be easily traded simply for another asset. For example, a house or art. Each one is unique, unlike a fungible asset like a $100 bill. What I meant when I was saying NFTs are different is that they can be categorized differently. They can come in the form of artwork, utility, 
a collectible, a metaverse asset, or a gaming asset. Sometimes an NFT is a blend of those, but those are the five main categories. And the reason we think that the prices have plummeted in the NFT space is that we are heavily focusing on the collectibles category. Collectibles were considered the golden goose of the space, and it's pretty much what everyone thinks of when we hear the term NFTs. And also why we now hear the question, are NFTs dead? To cut to the chase, no. And the evidence is clearly in the numbers. Okay, so here is the interesting part. So during my research and reading the trends paper, when I looked at all the active wallets that were holding NFTs and compared them against the trading volumes of the five different categories that I mentioned to you earlier, you would see that the most significant drop was in the collectibles category. The other categories had a drop. I mean, we are, of course, in a downward facing market with the recession and all, but the drop in the other categories were nowhere near as significant. And you could say very minor if you look at the utilities category specifically. So what does this all mean? It means we're maturing as a space. I have been waiting for this moment for ages. It feels like it was a long time coming. And it also means that as an NFT founder, you can no longer just ride someone else's hype train. Now, what your product offers is extremely, extremely important. And just like those NFTs that had actual use cases and functioning utilities, or to keep it simple, they're just really, really useful. Then the values of your NFTs can pretty much hold to. This is something I like to cover with NFT founders during the conceptualization phase of a project where you're working out your value proposition, your utilities, core principles, etc., etc. If you're curious to see what's involved in an NFT launch plan, you can check out the free checklist that I've created to give you a general scope. And also it allows you to physically tick off the steps as you go. It'll be in the show notes ready for you to download. If you found this episode helpful or insightful in some way, please make sure to follow or hit the plus button so you can receive the next episode straight into your app of choice. Until next time, keep building, keep creating, keep innovating. I'll be catching up with you very, very soon. Bye.